This morning, we're going to talk a little bit about Christmas. So let's open up in our Bibles to Isaiah chapter 9. The book of Isaiah, the Old Testament prophet. I named my firstborn son after the prophet Isaiah. I love the book of Isaiah. I almost named him Israel. I love Israel, the nation of Israel and everything about it, but uh, Isaiah won the day. The book of Isaiah, chapter 9. Let's pray before we get into it. Lord, your church gathers together on Sundays to worship you. And we pray now that our our teaching and our preaching and our studying and our listening and our hearing and our responding would be acts of worship this morning. And we certainly gather together to hear from you. For we hunger and thirst for righteousness. You alone, Lord, have the words of life. Your word is living and active. It's the revelation of yourself. It's true and authoritative. It's wonderful and transformative. So we ask that it would be that in our lives today, that none of this truth would be lost on us. And we pray that in this season at Christmas, that all the stuff that surrounds it would kind of fade into the background. And the one about whom it is would rise to the foreground. That Christ You'd be bigger this Christmas season than ever before. Reveal yourself to us in the scriptures. Enliven our hearts for the truth of what you've done for us. The wonder of your saving grace in the gospel. And the gift of Emmanuel, Jesus Christ, God with us. Lord, please um, anoint me to teach and preach. Completely unable and unworthy to do this, but by your grace and your enabling. And anoint our ears to hear and our hearts to respond. We pray these things together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we're talking a little bit about Christmas, and I put the emphasis on the word because nobody likes to call it Christmas anymore. Have you noticed that? It's always the holiday or the holidays or happy holidays. Nobody wants to say Christmas because it has to do with Christ. And so it's politically incorrect to talk about Christ in the public sector, apparently. So I am always going to say Christmas. And even when people say the holidays or happy holidays, what they're they're failing to realize is that the genesis of that word is holy days. That's where that comes from. Holy days. Why are they holy days? Because they're days about Christ, where we're celebrating Jesus Christ. So next time someone says, you're trying to mask the truth of Christmas, happy holidays. That's right. Holy days. (laughs) And and just, 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 yeah. Praise the Lord. And just give them more of Christ. Listen, Christ, mas, is Spanish for more Christ. Mas, Christ. That's what it's about. So we're going to keep it about that. Mas, Christ, and holy days. It's hard for us to keep it about that, though. Because it's become about so much else, hasn't it? 
It's become about the gifts and the parties and the gatherings and the Christmas trees and the stars and the, all those things. And really, the, 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 the trappings that have begun to surround Christmas appeal to the worst in us, don't they? I, I mean, advertising is an all-time high. Con- consumeristic pressure is at an all-time high. And it appeals to the, the worst in us. I, I, I find the, the worst in myself sort of enlivened and provoked and enticed at Christmas time more than ever. Just this deep sense of egocentric consumerism. As much as we say it's about giving, really in the back of our minds, it's about getting. And if nobody else will get it for us, we at Christmas time feel liberty to get it for ourselves. (laughs) I always make sure I get myself what I want at Christmas. It appeals to the worst in us in some way and in lots of ways. Ironically, Christmas was meant to rescue us from what is worst in us. It appeals to what is worst in us, but it was meant to rescue us from what is worst in us. You see, Christmas time is proof that we are desperate sinners. Christmas time is proof that we are desperate sinners because it is the recognizing that a Savior has come to the world. And the Savior would not have come and subjected himself to humanity to being beaten, mocked, scourged, spit upon, nailed to the cross. If we did not need a savior, God would not have draped himself in flesh and been born of a virgin and laid laid in a manger, a feeding trough for animals. If we did not desperately need to be saved. And on some level, in some historical sense, all the world recognizes this because everyone in the world knows it's Christmas time right now. They try to talk about different things, but it is Christmas time. (laughs) Evidenced by the fact that when Jesus was born, the world reset its clock. Do you understand that? It's 2011 AD, right? The world reset its clock when Jesus came. The calendar date was one. Jesus comes, it was one thing. Jesus comes and they changed it to another. It's that big of a deal, the advent, the incarnation, the coming of Christ. The whole world reset its clock because at some level, the whole world knows they need to be saved. We need a savior because in our sin and our wickedness and our rebellion against God, we incur guilt, condemnation, and judgment from God. And we need to be rescued from the burden of that guilt, the stain of our sins, the shame of our wickedness, the condemnation of a holy and righteous God who is bringing judgment to the world. We need to be rescued from that. Not only do we need to be rescued from our guilt before God, but we need to be rescued from the mess of sin, don't we? Because sin is messy. Sin creates messes. The broken relationships in our lives. Broken governmental structures in the world. Different forms of of oppression and slavery. Broken homes. Abuse of all sorts. These things are, are the products of sin. You see, sin is messy and destructive. We not only need to be saved from the 
guilt of it before God. But we need to be saved from the, the messiness of it. And this is exactly what Israel was being told at the time of the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah was a prophet to the nation of Israel 700 years before the coming of Jesus Christ. And Isaiah was sent by God to call his people back to him. Isaiah was sent by God to call the nation of Israel back to God. And part of what he would do in calling them back is he would pronounce to them that there was a coming judgment from God. And it would be in the form of of the Assyrians invading Israel, conquering them and conquering the land and, and dragging them away, that there was this coming judgment. But not only would Isaiah the prophet tell them about this judgment coming from the Assyrians as the instruments of God, but he would also tell them about the hope of restoration, that they would be judged, they would be chastened, they would be disciplined by God. But in due time, God would restore them. God would once again show kindness to them. And God would show ultimate restoration and kindness to them by sending an ultimate savior to them. God would say to them that ultimately, he would be with them. And it is from the prophet Isaiah where we get the name Emmanuel. The hope of Israel and the hope of all the world. Emmanuel, one of the names for Jesus, means God with us. But you see, at the moment of Isaiah chapter 9, God's people are still in deep rebellion to him, running from him and ignoring God's revelation to them. They're ignoring the word of God. And so we grab a little bit of that context in Isaiah chapter 8 before we get into chapter 9 as we look in verse 20. Isaiah the prophet speaking to the nation of Israel says, look to God's instructions and teachings. People who contradict his word are completely in the dark. They will go from one place to another, weary and hungry. And because they are hungry, they will rage and curse their king and their God. They will look up to heaven and down at the earth. But wherever they look, there will be trouble and anguish and dark despair. And they will be thrown out into the darkness. That's wow. The words of Isaiah the prophet to the nation of Israel. Representative of the plight of humanity as it has ignored God, not just Israel, but subsequent Israel, all of humanity. We see here the results of ignoring God. I think about this especially right now because Christmas is about Jesus. These are the holy days. And the world is working overtime to ignore that fact. And that's exactly what was going on with Israel. They were ignoring God. And so what happened in them is they were discovering this unsatisfied longing. And prophet Isaiah describes it in these verses as anguish and dark despair. And he highlights to them the messiness of sin. He says to them, wherever they look, there's going to be trouble. The the, the sin complicates circumstances and creates brokenness. And so he pronounces to them the chastening of God. They'll be thrown into darkness. They're unsatisfied. 
Their lives are a mess, and they're under the judgment of God. This is a bad case scenario right here. But then, when we get to chapter 9, light breaks into the darkness. Read with me in chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. Nevertheless, the prophet Isaiah says, that time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. The land of Zebulun and Naphtali, which is the area of the Galilee where Christ first came, will be humbled. But there will be a time in the future when the Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies on the road that runs between the Jordan and the sea, will be filled with glory. And the people who sit in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine upon them. You see, it was this dark situation for Israel. Unsatisfied, the messiness of sin, the chastening of God. But Isaiah tells them the word of the Lord that there is coming a day of light. It was hinted at back in chapter 7, verse 14. Or says, all right then, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And here we see the beginning of the promise to the nation of Israel and subsequently to the whole world that a rescuer is coming. If the plight of the whole world is because of our own sinfulness, we are woefully unsatisfied. That there's trouble on every side and we're under the heavy hand of God, but there is coming a rescuer. And Matthew tells us that this, verse 2, is applied to the person in the ministry of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 4, he quotes it. The people who walk in darkness, the unsatisfied, full of trouble because of their sin, under the judgment of God will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, despair apart from God, the plight of humanity, a light will shine upon them. And though this promise is first given to the nation of Israel, and it still pertains to the nation of Israel, and their Messiah, and their restoration, it is also a promise for us. Because what was meant for Israel is ultimately meant for the whole world. Because Jesus is not just the Savior of Israel. He's the Savior of the whole world. And so verse 3 says this. You will enlarge the nation of Israel. This is Isaiah speaking about God now. You will enlarge the nation of Israel and its people will rejoice. They will rejoice before you as the people rejoice at the harvest and like warriors dividing the plunder. I want you to notice now the juxtaposition of what's said here in verse nine, uh, chapter 9 to what was said in chapter 8. In chapter 8 was darkness. It was despair. It was anguish. It was trouble. It was rejection, judgment being thrown out. And now he says there's coming a day of dawning. There's coming light. John chapter 1 would identify this as Jesus. And with this coming, this Advent, Christmas, the incarnation, there is coming joy. In place of anguish, joy. In place of despair, joy. In place of trouble, joy. In place of judgment, joy. Notice that it's exclusive from anything that they would do. It's coming to them. It's going to be a gift from God, Christmas. See, God's plan for humanity and saving them and saving us is to give us joy in place of all those other things. 
a greater and truer joy. That is why on that first Christmas night, while Jesus lay in a manger, when the angels came and made the pronouncement to the shepherds in the field, it was a very particular pronouncement. Luke recorded it in his gospel in chapter 2, verses 8 through 11. He tells us this. He says, That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. And suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them. And the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. And they were terrified. But the angel reassured them. Do not be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The despair that was felt by the nation of Israel in the times of the, of the prophet Isaiah was the same sort of despair that was felt, felt by the nation of Israel in the times of the coming of the Messiah. They were still in darkness. They were still in rebellion. It wasn't the Assyrians now who would conquer them. Now it was the Romans. It only went from bad to worst. And now there, were, there weren't any prophets in the land. God had been silent for 400 years. From the prophet Malachi till the coming of Christ. 400 years of silence and judgment against his people. While they waited for the hope, the deliverance, the consolation of Israel, the coming of Emmanuel. It was just as dark in the land. There's just much, just as much despair. And trying as hard as they could to ignore their running from God. It was evident in the anguish and the unsettled longing of their hearts. Perhaps among none more so than the shepherds who were the outcasts of society who were considered to be so low that their testimony wasn't even acceptable in a court of law. They weren't shepherds because they wanted to be shepherds. They were shepherds because they couldn't be anything else. They weren't out in the field in the middle of the night because they liked camping. They were out in the field in the middle of the night because they had no real belonging. Indicative of humanity in their sin. Separated from God. Apart from his promises. And the angel comes and says, I bring you good news that will bring great joy. God's purpose and salvation for humanity is to bring us great joy. Because God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in him. See, everything else this Christmas season promises satisfaction, doesn't it? You get the latest iPhone, satisfaction. The new iPad, satisfaction. This thing, satisfaction. If you go to enough parties, you accumulate enough things, you have enough fun, satisfaction. All of it will leave you empty. So the angel came and said, I I bring you good news of a great joy for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior. One who would save them and save us from guilt and condemnation and judgment and the enemy. Look in verses 4 and 5. Again, Isaiah addressing God. says, For you will break the yoke of their slavery, Israel's slavery. 
and lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. You'll break the oppressor's rod, just as you did when you destroyed the army of Midian. The boots of the warrior and the uniforms bloodstained by war will all be burned. There will be, they will be fuel for the fire. He said he's going to destroy their enemies for him. He, he's going to bring in peace. For Israel at the time, it was political enemies and political oppression. But those things were only representative of, and they're certainly representative for us, of the great enemy and the great oppressor, the devil. From whom Jesus saves the world. Because Ephesians will tell us that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Running from God, rejecting God. Never satisfied, in rebellion, walking in darkness. Jesus comes to save the world from the great enemy and the true oppressor, the devil. And so we're told in Colossians chapter 2, it says about us, you were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature that was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ. Because he forgave all your sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by, by his victory over them on the cross. Speaking of the devil and his minions, he shamed them publicly by his victory on the cross. Notice that it says there was a record of charges against us. After this Christmas season, you will receive a record of charges from Visa and MasterCard. <laughs> and it will pale in comparison to the record of charges against men and women because of our sins. God is a more scrupulous bookkeeper than Visa or MasterCard will ever be. And we incur far greater debt in our sins than we ever could in our shopping. And the good news that brings great joy for all the people is that Jesus on the cross nailed the certificate of debt. Took it out of the way. And in doing that, defeated the oppressor, the enemy of our souls, who wants to keep us in shame who wants to keep us in condemnation, who wants to keep us separated from God, who wants to keep us in conflict with others, who wants our marriages to fail, our children to rebel, our society to crumble, our never-satisfied longings to take us into deeper places of brokenness and abuse. Jesus defeated the enemy upon the cross. Hebrews spoke of the same thing in chapter 2. So therefore, since the children, us, share in flesh and blood, since we are humanity, he himself, Christ, likewise also took on the same. Talking about the incarnation, Advent, Christmas, the coming. That through death, he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. And might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. You see, Israel was going to be enslaved to Assyria. Just like they had been enslaved to the Egyptians. Just like they would be subject to the Romans. Just like we are enslaved and subject to the devil and our sin. And Christmas happened. The Advent happened. 
God draped himself in humanity in the form of a baby and was laid in a manger to deliver us from this death, from this oppression, from this captivity. But not only from that and our guilt and our condemnation and our judgment, but also from our sad wandering and our lesser joys and our lesser hopes. You see, what Israel was doing was what we often do, was hoping in and trusting in and pursuing lesser things. Look in verse 19 of chapter 8, backing up. Isaiah the prophet, speaking to Israel, says, Someone may say to you, let's ask the mediums and those who consult the spirits of the dead with their whisperings and mutterings. They will tell us what to do. But shouldn't people ask God for guidance? Shouldn't the living seek, should the living seek guidance from the dead? And this may seem outlandish to many of us, but not that far from us, really. Seeking mediums, those who would consult the dead, looking for, for hope and answers in all sorts of places other than God. We do this, don't we? I mean, I mean for some of us, it's really close to this. You look to astrology. You look to superstition. You look, you look to all sorts of false things. Or, or for some of us, it's more like we look to money or, or to position or, or to power or to others who might deliver us. And, and what this creates in us is this never-ending dissatisfied wandering because none of them are our help. None of them are our consolation. None of them are our saviors. And when we look to them, we find ourselves in the place of Israel, wandering in anguish and in dark despair, trouble on every side. But Jesus comes onto the scene and says about the things he said in John 15, these things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. Jesus came to give us joy, to satisfy our lost wanderings. This is what Christmas is, tru is truly about. Good news that brings great joy for all the people. Because only God satisfies. We were made for God, and our hearts are restless until they find rest in him. St. Augustine. And Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us, who sets all things right as it pertains to our guilt, our shame, our condemnation, the judgment of God, the oppression and the slavery of Satan and sin and our never satisfied wandering search for joy. Jesus sets all things right. He is God in the flesh come to humanity. And Christmas then is this expression of the fact that God is near to the brokenhearted. This is good news because, you know, Christmas has a way of exacerbating our, our, our existing conditions. So if our existing condition is one of melancholy or, or, or depression or, or feelings of rejection, these seem to be amplified, don't they, at Christmas time? For those of us who are alone, it's where we feel most alone. For those of us who are suffering loss, it's where that loss seems most real. For those of us that are struggling financially and have without, it, it seems to be the time of year where it hits the most difficult. Christmas time is when we have the most suicides 
in our society. I bring you good news of great joy for all the people, mostly for the brokenhearted. Because Isaiah the prophet would go on to say in chapter 57, Thus says the high and exalted one who lives forever, whose name is holy. I dwell on a high and holy place. Right? God is exalted. And also with the contrite and the lowly of spirit, in order to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. And he would go on to say about Jesus in chapter 61. And Jesus would quote it that day in the synagogue in Luke chapter 4. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to the prisoners. Some of us recognize ourselves in those descriptions. Others of us don't recognize ourselves in those descriptions. And the scriptures would say to you, weep and mourn today because of your sin. But I bring you good news of a great joy. For today, for you, a savior has been born in the city of David. This is what Messiah was promised to do for Israel and will do and has done for us. Look at the fullness of it, starting in verse 6. For a child is born to us. A son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all of eternity. The passionate commitment of of the Lord of heaven's armies will make this happen. Oh, wonderful news for the nation of Israel. Oh, wonderful news for all of humanity. Stuck in the sense that there's nothing we could do. We're told right here, this good news that brings great joy to all the people, God himself in his passionate commitment and love will make it happen. And we're promised a child, a son, and that the government would rest upon his shoulders. This meant so much to Israel at that moment. And it means so much for us because we look around the world and we see all the political unrest. We see all the perversion. We see all the wickedness and the corruption. We see slavery and oppression, genocide. And we're told that one day, there's coming a day where the government will rest on the shoulders of Jesus Christ. He is truly coming again. The prophet Isaiah practices what all the prophets in the Old Testament practiced, a a theological phrase, foreshortening. Where the first coming and the second coming and the implications of both were sort of squashed down into one prophetic vision. The New Testament reveals to us that it's two comings. And though the world may seem chaotic now, Christ is currently ruling and reigning on the throne and he is soon coming to demonstrate his kingly rule over every nation. And the government of the world will rest upon his shoulders. And justice and fairness will come from his throne. There'll be no more oppression, no more genocide, no more abuse, no more trafficking. Maybe no more taxes. 
The government will rest upon his shoulders. And he's, we're not only told this, but it says, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor. Wonderful Counselor. Wonderful can also be translated exceptional. Counselor is one who is able to help. One who is able to guide. I've been thinking a lot about counselors lately. Feeling that I need them in my life more than ever. As life has gotten more difficult, more confusing, more messy. You, you know, when you're young, you just, life doesn't have that much of an opportunity to get messy. I'm, I'm looking at all your faces. A lot of you are super young. I finally got the attention of all the young people. They're like, young people. When you get older, you just have more of an opportunity to make more messes. Life gets messier. When I was younger, I thought I, I thought I knew more than I think I know now. You know that? Like anybody here have teenagers or preteens? Anybody? Raise your hand. Raise your hand higher. Okay, you know, right? They get to that age where they think you're an idiot and they know everything. I can still remember being that age. Let me give you a little bit of hope. It, it comes around. Right? Somewhere in the mid-20s, we start to realize, wow, mom and dad actually knew something. I just want to give you a little bit of hope, especially when they get married and they have kids. That really helps. God just punishes them that way. (laughs) Neither of those are punishment from God. They are gifts that God uses (laughs) to help us realize our foolishness and how little we actually know. But now that I'm 39 years old, I feel that I know and understand less than I ever have in my life. And I, I feel like I need counselors and counsel. And perhaps counseling. But I'm reminded here that Christmas is about this exceptional counselor who's been given to me. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor. He's the one who knows what to do. He's the shepherd of our souls. He's the one who leads us in paths of righteousness for his namesake. He's a wonderful counselor. And everything else that we turn to, every other false God, every other false power, every form of worldly security lets us down. But Jesus is a wonderful counselor who is always there, who is always present in our places of brokenness, who is able to open up a door of hope in the valley of trouble who delivers us and leads us. You see, in Christmas, everything that we need was brought to us in a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths. That little baby was our wonderful, exceptional counselor. But he was also mighty God. That little baby was mighty God. Mighty God, meaning he is able to save Isaiah the prophet would go on to tell the nation of Israel in Isaiah 59, listen, the Lord's arm is not too weak to save you, nor his ear too deaf to hear your call. He's a mighty savior. He's not too weak. Your sins are not bigger than his grace. Your failures are not bigger than his cross. Your running can outrun his love. And so another prophet about a hundred years later, Zephaniah would say, 
Sing, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O Yisrael. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. For the Lord will remove his hand of judgment and will disperse the armies of your enemy. And the Lord himself, the King of Israel, will live among you. And at last your troubles will be over. And you will never again fear disaster. On that day, the announcement to Jerusalem will be, cheer up, Zion. Don't be afraid. For the Lord, your God, is living among you. He is a mighty Savior. He will take delight in you with gladness. With his love, he will calm all your fears. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. He's a mighty God who is high and exalted and yet present and available in the person of Christ. He's also called their everlasting father. This is not a confusion of the people within the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Rather, everlasting father is an idiom used to explain Messiah's relationship to time, that he's outside of the time-space continuum, that he's pre-existent. We believe as Christians in the pre-existence of Christ that he's always been, that he's not a plan B. That God didn't suddenly say, oh no, humanity got messy. I better invent a savior. He has always existed and always been. Pictured in what we just studied, Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4, which says, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. And at the advent, God stepped into the time-space continuum by draping himself in humanity to save sinners for all time so that we might have our eyes open to the Prince of Peace. He's not only called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, but finally, Prince of Peace. And peace is so elusive in our world. Lots of people promise it. Nobody can deliver on it. Who is delivered on peace? Products promise it. Friends promise it. Lovers promise it. Governments promise it. Nobody can deliver on it. Peace is the most elusive commodity in our culture. Everybody needs it. Nobody can find it apart from the Prince of Peace. He's got a monopoly on it. He is a Prince of Peace. He's got a monopoly on the thing. So that Jesus comes along and says in John 14, 27, I am leaving you with a gift, right? Christmas time. I'm leaving you with a gift. Peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give to you is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. Peace of mind. Man, you can't, you can't buy that. You can't buy that. You can't maneuver that. You, you can't climb your way up the corporate ladder. You cannot earn enough money to bring you that. There is no person on this earth 
who, if you were able to garner their favor, would bring you peace. There is no person or relationship that we have lost that if they came back or we could restore that relationship would bring us peace. If you think that, you're wrong. Jesus says, I'm giving you a gift that the world, nobody in the world could ever give you peace of mind. And then he says in John 16, verse 33, I have told you all of this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you're going to have many trials and sorrows. But take heart, because I have overcome the world. I've told you all these things so that you may have peace in me. You see, God's will in saving the world is to bring peace to all men. It's only found in the person of Jesus Christ. These are the holy days. These are the times of Christ must more Christ. If you don't know Jesus, you need to repent of your sins. You're guilty before him. MasterCard and Visa have nothing on you. There's a certificate of debt before him that you have incurred in your wickedness. I have incurred in my wickedness. Put your hope and your faith in the person of Jesus and what he did on the cross in your place. And that certificate of debt will be nailed to the cross and taken out of the way so that you are free and clear before God. Free and clear before God. So that what you've always been looking for, peace of mind and heart, will finally be brought to you. This is what Christmas is about. Amen? Thank you, Lord. Thank you for these ancient and wonderful promises. Delivered to humanity hundreds and thousands of years ago, but incredibly relevant to us today. To every single one of us. We pray together, if there's anyone in this room that doesn't know you, that you'd cause them to repent of their sins and turn to you. And that they would discover the greatest gift the world has ever known. Emmanuel, God with us, the person of Jesus Christ. You'd do the greatest thing they could ever experience. You'd wash them white as snow. Fill them with your spirit and your life. Bring them into relationship with you. Do that in this place, God. And for those of us that do know you, Me, first and foremost, I I would confess that we are so easily distracted with good things, but lesser things. Jesus, just be the biggest thing in our lives and in our worlds this Christmas time. Surely you're worthy of all of our attention, all of our praise. We'll give you all the glory. We'll give you the fullness of our lives. Cause us to live on mission for you that we might say, as the angel said, I bring you good news that will bring you great joy. In Jesus' name, amen.